Broadcasting from the Hair Saloon corporate offices, it's the Suzanne Benker Show, where men and women are equal in value but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. Today on the show, we're going to talk with Layla Miller, author of the book Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. But before we do that, a couple of quick announcements. I'm rolling out a plan to take the Suzanne Banker Show to the next level. My goal is to continue to provide you with incredible guests and to keep the show commercial free. In order to do this, I'm now accepting donations from listeners via Patreon. Whatever you're able to give per month, your donations will go straight to funding this mission for my podcast. And best of all, when you become a Patreon subscriber, you get great perks like free ebooks, exclusive content, a live Q&A with me, and a shout out on the show, depending on which tier you choose. And speaking of new subscribers, I'd like to take a moment now to thank my new superfan patrons. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you to, and yes, I can't believe there are this many of them, but there really are, Kim P., Kimberly, another Kim P., a Kim A., and Dante. (laughs) That's a lot of Kims. Thank you all so, so much. For information on how to become a Patreon subscriber, go to SuzanneBanker.com slash podcast and click on Become a Patron. Finally, in response to the coronavirus, I'm running a two-week coaching special at 50% off my normal prices for a single session. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com slash coaching and scroll to the bottom where you'll see the COVID-19 special. The kids will be all right if the parents split up, right? If the parents are happy, the children will be happy. This is the current status quo when it comes to divorce in America. But those children are now speaking out, and they are not happy. These are people who even if they've gone on to have functional lives, still carry the scars of divorce with them into their own marriages and relationships. In Layla Miller's book, Primal Loss, 70 now adult children of divorce give their candid and often heart-wrenching answers to eight questions, including what were the main effects of your parents' divorce on your life? What do you say to those who claim that children are resilient and children are happy when their parents are happy? What would you like to tell your parents then and now? What do you want adults in our culture to know about divorce, and what role has your faith played in your healing? The responses to these questions are difficult to read, yet not without hope. Most of the contributors, men and women, young and old, single and married, have never spoken of the pain and consequences of their parents' divorce until now. Yet despite vastly different circumstances, the similarities in their testimonies are striking and fly in the face of conventional wisdom that children of divorce will eventually be fine. As one Amazon reviewer writes, Quote, the stories from these adults is like a bolt of lightning in an atmosphere of divorce and separation propaganda. Welcome to the show, Layla. That's so good to be here, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So I want to say right at the outset um, that this is a difficult topic. Um, And I think, and well, I know that that's one of the reasons why, maybe the main reason why we never hear about it. And why very few media outlets are willing to discuss it. And as you know, I think I told you that that's not the case at the Suzanne Thinker show. We definitely right. <laughs> we want to handle those difficult conversations because that's what we're here for. And, um, you know, it's not the only difficult one I've done, but I, I'd say it's definitely up there. So you call the pain of divorce on a child, quote, the most underreported story of our time. Is that why you chose to write a book on divorce? Well, it's funny because um, even I didn't know about the pain of divorce for 50 years of my life as an American. And when I did finally, almost on a whim, put these stories together, it was only because I had 
recently discovered it. You know, here I am walking around in America, not realizing all the walking wounded around me because my parents were not divorced. I am not divorced. I had not had any divorces touch my life personally. And I just thought everything was great, you know, with everyone. And that the kids who were from divorce, they just kind of got used to it. And that's how it went. And so, yeah, so it has to be underreported because how could I go 50 years and not know it was a big deal for, for, you know, so many of the people around me, including friends um, that I had known for years. Yeah, I'm trying to think about, you know, I grew up in this 1970s. And I, I had some friends in one particular year, whose parents who were product of single parent homes. And that was my sort of unusual time period where, where I, I was a little bit familiar with that. But after that, I really didn't know any divorced people, just which just shows you how it was really just taking off in the 70s, which makes sense. So I'm with you that I never had any close relationships with people who are products of divorce, with the exception, this is going to sound strange now that I've said that, my father was divorced before he married my mother. And so Mm -hmm. I did have experience with another family, his other family, periodically, who I would see. And I know that that was a big deal as far as just getting to be able to see them. And so it was just, it was sort of in the periphery of my life, but I didn't have conversations with them about being children of divorce, which of course is what we're going to be talking about today. So as I got older, I never had any friends that I can recall um, who were products of divorce until my I married my husband, interestingly enough. So mm. this subject is very close to him. And um, in fact, I almost had him come on just to be part of it because I know he feels so strongly about it. But anyway, so let's get right to it. So you or I was like you and I didn't have a lot of experience. But then you wrote that you started, you were talking to a close friend of yours and you were realizing that she, you wrote that she had revealed her still unfolding struggles with a long ago divorce of her parents. So you started asking adult children of divorce about their experiences and the answers you received, you called quote, a virtual avalanche of pain. Right. So it was absolutely shocking to me. I didn't know what I was going to get back. It's just when I was speaking to my friend over the course of a few years, she would kind of nonchalantly uh, talk about some of the complications that were still in her life now in her 40s as a married woman with children and her parents divorced when she was about six. So I remember starting to just kind of scratch my head over the years thinking, wow, that's that's a complication I've never really considered. And I don't have that burden that she's talking about. But it just it wasn't like she was complaining. It just kept coming up periodically because holidays would come up or situations with a step parent or a, a step sibling or just different things that came up with her parents. And and I started to just wonder is, is there something I've been missing here? And so I, I kind of have a little bit of a following on social media. So I just thought I'd throw out some questions to these folks and, and said, if anyone's a, an adult child of divorce, would you be willing to answer these questions? And within a couple of days, I had at least a hundred uh, folks respond saying that they would like to answer my questions about the effects of being um, the effects of their parents' divorce on their lives, as long as it was anonymous. Mm -hmm. And that was a really huge part of it because no one wants to hurt their parents. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves their parents, even though there's a lot of pain there. And so um, with that anonymity, uh, most of the people I sent a questionnaire out to, and it was just eight simple questions off the top of my head, honestly, most of them returned uh, the answers, a decent percentage, small, but still couldn't even get through the questions emotionally. So I ended up with 70 
that I included in the book. And they were strikingly similar, even though the circumstances of the divorces were very, very different, ages, all that. Yeah. And we're going to get to that in just one minute. I have one question for you. I know that this is also from the article that you had originally written on on this um, for the Institute for Family Studies. You said that the excerpts from your book were written by contributors who were not from abusive homes, or nor did they get dragged through an ugly divorce. These were all what you would call or what they would call or whatever, what is commonly referred to as a more, you know, a, a good divorce or a, or a better than average divorce or whatever you want to say. Was that on purpose that you wanted to hone in on those or that just happened? Oh, no, no. Let me clarify. That was okay. just the, the excerpts that they were using in that article. They wanted to show that oh, even good divorces had issues. So my, my book has every kind of divorce. So it, it has messy divorces, you know, abusive situations. It has good, clean, happy divorces. Uh, so it's the, it's the gamut. It's everything okay. you can imagine. So. so what are some of those commonalities that you've, that you learned about of children of divorce? Sure. So some of them include um, things like a loss of identity, which is probably the foundational one. Um, they have to kind of rethink who they are, especially when they have to split themselves between now two different households and two different uh, sets of rules, uh, new new step families. Um, you know, who they were as a cohesive family unit is now gone. So for the rest of their lives, they're straddling two different realities, two different uh, lives. And so they're different people, they've told me, in either half of the situation that they're being forced to navigate, you know, a situation that even the adults couldn't navigate. Um, there is um, self-doubt, a lot of insecurity and anxiety that comes in their, in their interpersonal relationships, but also even in their professional lives. Uh, there's anger, especially manifested in, in some of the, uh, men, young, young men, teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, but then as they get older, the women tend to look for love kind of in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. There are boundary issues. There are issues with, uh, trust. There are great issues of loneliness. Loneliness is, was a, is a huge thing. And then relationship skills in their own marriages, um, either, either being afraid to marry or if they do get married, some of them have really been almost um, crippled with anxiety about when will this fall apart, even if there's no reason for them to think that it would. I have an interesting story about that. When I was first, when my husband and I were first married, we've been married 22 years. And like I said, he's a product of divorce and I'm actually a product of uh, a very high conflict marriage, but my parents Uh were married for 44 years. So um, my whole frame of reference was different from his, obviously. But at any rate, the first time we got into a fight or the first couple of di- disagreements, whatever it was, um, he we, he went off to work and literally thought about it all day and was very freaked out about what would happen when he got home as far as mm. we were going to pick up where we left off or whatever. And um, he got home and I'm just like, hi, you know, like everything uh-huh. was completely fine. I was back to back to normal. And he was absolutely shocked. Like he could, that's yes. so foreign to him. Now it's old news 22 years later, but at the time he'd never seen anything like that. And he just was expecting a completely different, you know, bad uh, result of that conflict. So that was a example of my up close and personal lesson on what it means to be him, you know? Oh yes. And it's very hard to imagine it for you and me. Same thing. Yeah. I, my, my parents, my parents are married for 55 years, had a very 
loving but volatile relationship. I don't know. It was kind of Mediterranean. So if you could think about yeah. that, but, uh, but there was security always, even though it was kind of crazy, Yeah. but, uh, and there's a lot of fighting and yelling, yep. but my, um, but the, the people in the book, uh, would say things like, um, you know, even though my husband was a saint, I was for the first 20 years of the marriage, almost suicidal with anxiety, wondering when he was going to leave or when I was going to leave because they see that conflict leads to permanent separation. Right. And they can't imagine love that doesn't kick you aside when you're not perfect or when things go bad. And so that unconditional love is just not there. They, they didn't see it modeled. And it's crippling for so many of them. And they don't even necessarily connect it to what happened with their parents. Yeah. Believe it or not, a lot of people think this is just normal. And they don't realize not everybody has that kind of anxiety. I never blinked an eye getting married. I'm like, I don't care. Even if we fight, it's not going to make a difference. We're going to be married forever. Right. But they um, they have not internalized that type of commitment. Or so love. that gets into what you had said or what was also made clear in the book that there's just a completely different way that they, that adult children of divorce see the world than people like you and I do. Oh yes. In fact, when the book came out, um, and again, you have to understand this book, 98% of it is not my voice. I barely say anything. It's, I let them do right. the talking. And so, uh, so the book comes out and the friend who inspired it, she, she kind of looked at me and I always thought of her, she's just a very, kind of laid back. I think it was very, um, uh, confident, but she, I didn't realize that's a mask. And she looked at me and she said, you know, through this whole process, she said, I've realized you're so confident, Layla. I'd never understood how people could be so confident. Now it makes sense because you had an intact family. And I thought I, I am confident. Like I don't mm -hmm. have any of these crippling anxieties. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that the people around some of them, they really inside are falling apart, but yes. they are putting on this great show. So yep. it was, it was shocking to me. How come you, so let's talk about the book for a second and how you set it up. You gave each subject a number as opposed to a mm -hmm. name, right? Right. So, yeah. so each contributor is anonymous. They, they were terrified of being found out that their parents would find out that they are not doing okay mm -hmm. interiorly. Uh, so they don't want to hurt their parents more than anything, but so everyone got a number every contributor. And then I have little biographical outlines at the end. So you can kind of see who is who and, and, uh, and all that. But I just literally put their answers to each question one after the other. So like if the first question was, it's a broad question, but you know, what are the effects on your life of your parents' divorce? I just would put those answers one by one, and then at the end of each paragraph or each entry, there'd be a number. So you'd know it's a different person. And so some of the really fascinating thing is some of the contributors would be reading once it was published, they read some of these answers and they thought, oh, here's mine, here's mine. Mm. And then they'd get to the end of the paragraph and they'd see it's not their number. It wasn't them. That's how similar a lot of these oh my feelings gosh, were. That's fascinating. That's yeah, really it was, fascinating. It was, it was shocking. Yeah. 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 So you just really just put this information out there. It's not. Um, just to make clear, because I have seen it I, I, for other people who are listening, it's, you know, it's not written by Leela Miller. It's compiled. Right. Would you say, is that a fair way of putting uh, right, it? Yeah. Right. I edited yeah. it. I put it, compiled it together and made sure it read nicely. And, you know, right. but it is, I was just as stunned as everyone else reading, going, oh my goodness, you know, and then I, I just make sure it's all readable, but these were all answers to that specific question. So you've got, um, questions about what their view of marriage is now, how they viewed the divorce differently as a child 
than they do today, what they want society to know about divorce, what they would say to their parents now if they could, um, those types of things, just things off the top of my head. But the the responses, I mean, they I think they were even surprised because now looking back, I've made friends with a lot of them since then. Uh, they they come back to me now. They're like, I, I should have said this. I should have said that. Mm-hmm. I, I I just did it off the top of my head. I'm like, no, 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 no. Believe me, it's powerful enough as it is. It's it's overwhelming. Well, I have a couple of those here, some of those um, samples. So, for example, you have mm-hmm. one 50-year-old wife and mother whose parents shared custody. This is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Shared custody, which is supposed to be the ideal, and, and it is, relatively speaking. It's mm-hmm. absolutely more ideal than anything else. And got mm-hmm. along well after their divorce. Mm-hmm. She said, I was devastated as a child when my dad drove away, and I will never forget standing in our front yard, literally screaming, come back. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what was happening, and my three-year-old sister certainly didn't understand. I would honestly say I survived the divorce, but the fallout wasn't pretty. Lots of acting out and unsettled behavior. It really skewed the way I looked at guys and what I thought love was. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to me now that we yeah. we know so much. Like now when I think about, every time I think about divorce, I I actually do think about what it really looks like for the child. And I don't think that we are predisposed to, to do that because we're in this culture where it's very, you should be happy. You need to do what's right <sighs> for yourself. If you're happy, the kids will be happy. All this total and complete societal crap that's just right. fed down our throat. And so, th- so as long as you have been brainwashed, I guess, for lack of a better word, into thinking that that's the case, you're very, it's not natural or normal for you to think about it from the child's perspective. And yet when you stop and really do think about it, it's kind of crazy that we never did or don't right. look at it the way that we should. I mean, think about the, you talked about moving on, the whole concept of moving on, that children are expected to move along because the parents are, right? And that, and, and that they're somehow, they start up with new families thinking you're going to be better off because you're going to have this new family as though, uh. as though the experience of your getting on with your life with a completely new person uh. is not going to completely blow apart this child's life as they've known it. And that they're just going to seamlessly, oh, hi, dad. Hi, mom, with a new person. Yeah. Like, why did we ever it's, think that that was going to work? Yeah, I never. That's the part that if you think too long on it, it is so devastating yeah. to think like, I, you know, some of the think of a, you know, a 10 year old girl having to come down in her nightgown to a new man, you know, that's not daddy, you know, or to, I, it's like mind boggling to, to even imagine that. And and of course, there are great dangers in a second and third and fourth marriage and, and non-biologically related people coming in and out and, and and getting new families and then losing those new families and then reconstruct, you know, reconstructing families and restructuring. And one lady said she had reconfigured the idea of family like seven different times by the time she was 23. And she said, I don't think anyone should have to bear that. No. And yet... It's the narrative. I keep going back to, you know, what I talk to people. This is the narrative that the children have to follow because society says and the adults say that we have to, which is kids are resilient. Everything's going to be fine. Like you said, if, if your parents are happy, you'll be happy. And the chapter where I asked them, are kids resilient, was the one that got the most uh, swear words that I had to bleep out. Oh, really? People were yeah. people were really incensed because they know that's the narrative. And and a lot of times they don't even realize what's been done to them until they're well into their own marriages. Mm-hmm. So 
when you have a, uh, a I've, I've encountered many kids who are, you know, in their teens or early 20s, and they're like, oh, no, no, my parents' divorce didn't affect me at all. It was the best thing. It was the best thing. And it's good for everyone. And everyone's happier. And, and then you start to probe a little bit. And then a couple of times I've just said, could you read my book here? I want you just to tell me what you think after you're done. And then they fall apart because then they realize, oh my gosh, this is why, this is why I can't get it together. This is why I'm so broken inside. And I can't, I believed my parents who said it's the best thing. And so when you say, when the parents and adults that you trust and the teachers and the counselors and the priests and the pastors and everybody's saying, oh, this is the best thing. Your parents are making a good decision for your family. They just can't get along, but love continues just in a different way. That's gaslighting. And the kids take it in and they're like, well, if everybody is saying it's so great, but I'm still feeling like garbage and something's wrong internally, then I must, must be, be the a problem. bad person. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm a bad person. So then guess what we do? We put them on medication. Mm-hmm. We take them to therapists. Mm-hmm. We never connect it back to the, de- the decisions <laughs> of the adults to break their family apart. Which it, to it, fall apart with the destruction of your family is a normal, um, uh, it's normal. Precisely. And, and we tell them it's abnormal and there's something wrong with you. Which is why, which leads into what you said. I read something where you wrote the help and understanding that should come to children in the wake of a divorce rarely comes. Right. And that's so true because I remember saying to my husband, I mean, I said, did you literally never get help ever? Like you've never oh. seen anybody? You just went through this oh. enormous life altering event and you never talked about it. Like get your oh. head around that. Like, no, there was right. no discussion of putting a kid in to counseling to get help when that's exactly where they belong. And you have to be careful because even the counselors I found, and this is the really distressing thing. Oh yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> they counsel in such a way that is, you can talk about your feelings, you can talk, but you can't connect it to an injustice. No, you can't say right. that was wrong for me to have lost my family. Like it, the, the adults should have made better decisions that I don't have to pay for. So what they do is they make it seem again, like your parents, you know, wanted what was best. And so it's gaslighting. It's making you feel crazy. And there are so few uh, places or counselors who get it and who will say the first thing that they need to say is the truth, which is this should not have happened exactly. to you or your family. Exactly. Now we can move on from there, but we have to acknowledge the injustice. And until a child hears that, they're going to feel disoriented and completely, um, you know, crazy Lost. until we get that foundation that this wasn't what was supposed to, to happen, happen for your family. So in light of that, do you believe that there's such thing as a good divorce? And if so, what does that look like? So I think that there are better divorces than I don't think there's ever a good divorce because again, that is never supposed to be what a family is, you Mm -hmm. know, what happens. Um, there are cases where, uh, you know, physical separation needs to happen for danger, for issues like that. Um, and even then we, we can say to those children and it's still a loss to you. You have still lost something that you should have had. Uh, it, it was unavoidable or whatever, but you don't tell a child it's, this is good. You know, this is the way. And the other thing is if, if parents are going to divorce anyway, and a lot of times uh, the most of the time it's, it's, it's for selfish reasons because they can't get their act together or they won't, uh, at least, yes, we want it to be as amicable as possible. Um, we don't want, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, you, you can't blame the other parent and, and mm-hmm. tear them down mm-hmm. in front of the child. That's half of who the child is. And mm-hmm. you're tearing down the other parent. 
However, the problem comes with the good divorce is that then the child is thinking, well, if you guys can get along so well, why are we split apart? And then that messes with their uh, psyche as well. So like, I have a quote here from someone who said that exact thing from your book. She said, for me, the very fact that my parents worked so hard to be civil and kind to one another was somewhat confusing. I mean, my parents got along so great. They listened to one another. They made plans. They do things. Why did they have to get divorced if they worked so hard afterwards? It's almost like the divorce didn't even make sense, you know? Yeah. And so and you can't win one, on either end because if you have a good divorce, you, you you're can't. like, what? Yeah. You can't. And she's one who's, um, she's in her thirties now and her parents divorced when she was little. And, uh, she went through her twenties, absolutely successful, holding everything together. She was, she would pride herself and her family on being this good divorce and saying, this is, has not affected me. And she really believed the divorce did not affect her until she hit a wall in her late twenties and she fell apart. And she actually did get a good counselor who told her and who was able to say, you know what, this might be connected to the fact that your family fell apart when you were little. And she was blown away to realize how she was trying to hold everything together um, for outward appearances when, when the, she did not even realize that this was the root yeah. of all her anxiety inside. Well, she probably didn't have, per, you know, we're not giving <clears throat> right. young people permission to have the feelings that they had right. to stuff them all down. Right. And her parents were wonderful. Like she said, they were doing their very best. Sure. So even in the best situation, you're still operating from a fractured foundation. So when people say, you know, people like us who don't, are not from divorce, we have the usual slings and arrows of life. Very difficult. Life is always difficult. Unlike people who are not children of divorce, uh, they are operating from a fractured foundation. So every normal slings, you know, sling and arrow from life, every difficulty has to be handled from a broken foundation, a shattered foundation, which we don't have to deal with. So it isn't the same because people say, well, everything, you know, everybody has to deal with, with troubles. Yes, it's true, but it's much easier to deal with life's troubles when you are solid and stable in your identity and in your family. Did you talk with anybody whose parents waited till they were up and out before they got I divorced? Did. Yeah. And what was the deal there? When you got married, things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneVenker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. Did you talk with anybody whose parents waited till they were up and out before they got I divorced? Did. Yeah. And what I was did. the deal here's, there? Here's, here's the sad thing. It's not 
better. It's just a different kind of devastation. Because if you, I have one man whose parents divorced when he was in his thirties, he's already married with kids. It not only shattered everything he thought he knew about his life, because his entire, every memory, everything about his life till that point was was now abandoned and, and was gone. But now he had to have that explanation, that discussion with his own children about why his, why the grandparents now were separated and, right. and re- remarried and living their own lives in the, you know, it, it was, it, it's almost, I've had people come up to me at, at different events and things and tell me in tears that it is, they think, cause obviously they can't compare, but they think it's almost worse when they had a life and they had a family all and then, their life yeah, and it was blown apart. It was blown apart. It was like, it was all a big lie. All a big lie. It's so devastating. E- either way. So people who say, well, we'll just wait till they're out of the house. And, I, know. I mean, I, I guess there's a little, my, my, my husband's parents did that. They waited, you know, until, uh, what was the father really? He waited until, uh, the kids were grown and yet, <laughs> um, you know, it, it still destroyed the cohesiveness. It destroyed the family. So, um, it's really not better. It, it's really better that adults become unselfish and, and learn to love the other spouse. Right. And that's, I mean, obviously I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's what I try to do in my work all the time. You know, the biggest issue with this, which I know, you know, is that, that argument of, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what or, about you know, what's, what's right. in the, yeah. I mean, obviously, right. obvi- I don't even know anybody who would argue the idea. Yes. You should stay with somebody who's abusive. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, right. or if so someone's I've, a chronic I've... alcoholic or a chronic adulterer, which by the way, just means there's other problems there. It's not really about those things as you know, mm-hmm. but okay. Mm-hmm. If you're unsafe, I don't know a soul who's going to suggest that you need to, that you should not get divorced. So it almost, for me, it's like, it doesn't even need to be said, but I have to remind myself to say it because people always come back with that. Well, it derails the conversation immediately, which it's designed mm-hmm. to do, yep. and it puts the the mute button on these children so they can't talk about their pain. And even in those cases, we have to be able to say that those children suffered a loss. And and, and the other thing is, I, I, I just did a follow-up to primal loss, which is impossible marriages redeemed, and it kind of discusses that as well. Like, even if there's a separation, um, there's no mandate that you have to move on to the next romance. You can still you know, yes. stand firm and, for your vow and show yeah. your children, I'm going to love, like I said, I would to death, but I'm not going to put you in danger in the meantime. So there's ways to deal with that that will keep a child steady, as steady as possible, rather than um, going off in you know new romances and bringing in new people. All of that is kind of another discussion. It, it almost is. And yet you can't yeah. uh, separate it because in almost all cases, people go on to remarry and that's where the problem comes in. I yes. mean, hypothetically, and- if people, you know, a good divorce yes. might be, you know, separating and nobody ever gets with anyone else again and lives right. next door to each other and raises their kids from, you know, <laughs> from, right, right, from right. a little bit of a distance or something, but no other romances are going on. I mean, you could almost make an argument for that, but that's not going to happen. And that's not right. realistic. There, people will remarry or, or at least get with other people. And that's almost always where the problems come in. They will. And that's the, that's the way we look at it now is that this is about the happiness of the adults who need to find a fulfilling romance. And that is why divorce, you know, and the divorce revolution and no fault divorce came in was because we believe that every adult has a right to have a happy romantic life, a happy sexual life. And that is part of the sexual revolution. And the kids who have an actual natural right 
to have a mother and a father who are married from, you know, from the beginning, that's what they're supposed to be born into. And that's the stability that they were given, you know, it's got God given right to have your parents. Uh, that's not considered because that is, that's secondary. And then, uh, and then another point of that first thing that you said is that that second marriage and third marriage, guess what? It's not mm. going to be any better because right. we know that 70% of marriage, second marriages with children end. And then it just goes up higher from there. So even yes. even if you wanted to talk about this supposed other life that you're going to have that's going to be better with this other person, it's not even yeah. statistically accurate. Not at all. It's, it's It gets worse. Yeah, second yeah. marriages are much more likely to fail. Then you've brought in these other people. You have, I mean, these first kids from the first family, um, they don't feel like they matter because once you go into the second marriage, let's mm -hmm. say you bring in the the, the half siblings uh, or the step siblings, but the half siblings especially, they're now in an intact family. They have their mom and dad, and they have their picture on the wall of the entire family. The first child is still going back and forth. The first child doesn't have any family pictures on anyone's wall. That's a complete family. They don't, you know, they have to be two different people at each, you know, uh, at each house. And, um, but their sitting is complete. So it, there's so much that is psychologically involved with these first kids and they're expected to be happy with all of it. And to say, look, isn't this beautiful? I now have more people to love and there's more. I have one, I have one person in the book who she did finally get a sister when she got her, I don't know if it was the second or third marriage of which one of her parents, she got a sister and a, and a stepmother that she loved. She loved these people and she loved her sister. And guess what? Three years later or so they got divorced. She lost her sister. It was the most tragic thing. And to this day, she's in her fifties now. She still mourns the loss of what she thought at the time was a forever sister. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the word forever because I wanted to also hone in on this idea that divorce is supposed to be some one-time event, yeah. right? So I have a quote here from another gal that you interviewed, a 35-year-old wife and mother who wrote, a parent might be able to totally start over with a new spouse, experiencing freedom from the first marriage and only minimal contact with the first spouse. For the child, however, their worlds will forever be fundamentally split. Forever. There is no starting over with a clean slate. Things are now complicated and fractured. Divorce starts a family onto two different paths that, as the years unfold, grow further and further apart. It's not a one-time event, but an ever-changing and ever-widening gap that only the children are really tasked with straddling and reconciling, season after season, change after change. But that's not the case for the remarried parent. Who's, in a, who's oblivious because they're in happy land or whatever. Well, they're not. They're only temporarily in happy land and then they get divorced right. anyway. But, but yeah, right. so yeah, it's not, yeah, it's they forever. With it. They don't have to yeah. deal with isn't, it. Isn't that nice? They get to, yeah. they get to go on and, yep. and be free of the problem. And then they've put that on their child yep. forever. And I can tell you, it's funny, uh, there have been groups that have sprung up on Facebook now uh, uh, after primal loss, which uh, are just private groups only for the adult children of divorce. So I'm not even allowed in them, but I know the lady who runs them and uh, there are about 400 people now in these groups. And the biggest consternation, the biggest turmoil and heartache is every year when the holidays come around. And this is decades in, they are still, 
or any life event, like a graduation, a wedding. A, a, a wedding. Oh my gosh. Yes. A, a, a funeral, a death of a parent, mm-hmm. all of these things and Thanksgiving, Christmas, everything, Easter, you can't imagine the turmoil. Now I'm telling you the, the other, the adults that have moved on aren't thinking about it, but the, the kids still have to deal with it. Like, okay, who do I text first? Who am I going to go? You know, where am I going to go? What am I going to say? Who's going to get offended if I don't say it this way or, or if I don't contact them first or if I don't visit them first or if I don't, you know, everything is calculated and stressful and they are still trying to deal with it. Now, imagine that just in addition to normal life, which has enough stressors. I, I can't even imagine. I, like, I don't have any of those thoughts. No. None of it. No, no, it I don't either. And yeah, never you know what really gets to me more than anything, Layla, is that we knew all this. We all we mm. knew all this back before, before we supposedly became this enlightened progressive country, right? So right. prior to the 1970s, we knew this instinctively, even if we didn't have the words for why it would be so devastating, we knew it. And as you pointed out earlier, the sexual revolution changed everything. It had this trickle down effect of which a divorce was simply part of this broader sexual question, you know, um, about mm-hmm. how to, you know, male-female relationships and the rest of it. And it's just, it, we've devolved, obviously, because we we knew before that that this was not good for children. And yet here we are seeing the results now, decades in, and yet still not ready to go back to our thinking in terms of, oh, children first, parents second. Mm-hmm. We've shifted, right? We've shifted from the, a culture that actually was mostly concerned with protecting children, children right. to uh, mostly now we go with whatever the desires of the adults are. So the needs of the children have been replaced by the desires of the adults. And then the kids are just, of course, going to supposed to be happy going along with us. And, and, and marriage itself, what we have to remember it, it, it serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's actually, there's a, the nature of marriage is to provide a stable, uh, family so that you, you connect the, the, the parents, you connect the father to the family so that you can raise children up in the stable environment to be healthy, uh, productive, um, good citizens and good people. And so now we have no fault divorce, which literally mm-hmm. is unstoppable. If you are the innocent person, you cannot stop a divorce. No. So whoever wants out of a contract is the only contract. And that's why it's unconstitutional. I mean, it's the only contract ever where the person who wants to break it for no reason whatsoever. And even the guilty party gets to do so and gets to take half of the other, per- destroy the other person, take the kids, take the, it's, it's the most unjust situation. And yet we do it. We'd never even think about it. It's, it's absolutely the law of the land. It's no fault. I can get out of this contract. I can get out of this commitment Anytime I want for any reason, just because I don't want to be there anymore. Right. And unfortunately, we know we've talked about in this program several times that um, it is wives that initiate that the most about about 70 percent. So what we're really talking about at the end of the day is the wives are giving up on the marriages. And as a result, the children are losing the close relationship that they had with their father and that we're actually going to have somebody on in a couple of weeks to get into the 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 details of this mess. Um, and yeah, that's devastating. And I will just throw in the word feminism there because even, <laughs> even not? Good, yeah, good women who don't even realize how, uh, how influenced by feminism they have been and they are the ones saying, oh, well, he's not being essentially, he's not being like my girlfriend. He's not fulfilling me emotionally. So he must be a terrible man. And then they get their girlfriends all, you know, to agree. Yep. Oh yeah. He's oh, why he's what he's, he's doing what he's saying. Yep. What he's not telling you you're beautiful. He's not, oh, you're being abused, you know, emotionally. And then they, 
they blow up the family and they leave. And it just, it is the influence of not understanding the difference between men and women. And also just this influence of, of, of feminism where we're just wanting to be in competition all the time yep. with, with our, our husbands. Yep. It's awful. It's awful. So it's anyway, really terrible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and then the fallout with respect to your own, and we sort of touched on this, but your own marriage and relationships down the road, I would say, I mean, here's another personal tidbit. I remember my husband, when we were dating, very clearly saying that, oh, he's over all that. Like he worked it all out and he's, you know, passed it or something. I think he was 33 when he said this. Mm -hmm. It came out in full force later. (laughs) After mm-hmm. we'd been we'd been married and had kids, um, that he was really getting in touch with. Wow, I I thought I was I thought I dealt with this and it was behind me, and it's not. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's very, it's very scary. Like I said, there there was one, um, more than one woman who, uh, would be stashing away. Um, you know, money in her sock drawer, you know, or uh, getting ready to be a single parent. There's no nothing that indicated that they would get divorced. It's just that constant loop in the head, like, okay, um, you know, when when is this going to stop? And then and then the anxiety that produces. One or two of the ladies said they they felt suicidal, and this is all in their own minds. This is not anything that's actually happening in their yeah. marriage. And one man who said he just kept testing his wife, you know, uh, you know, uh, fighting with her, like, are you going to leave me first or am I going to leave you? That was kind of his, his testing mode. He wasn't saying yeah. it out loud, but that's what he was trying to, to test. And it just, it's, it's toxic in a marriage. It really is. So, okay. I know you have a follow-up book, Layla, that just came out. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So that one was, uh, people kept in the first book, primal loss at the end, I, I I couldn't leave people with all this darkness. So I I did this little section that was stories of hope, which were other stories of people whose either parents weathered the storm or who themselves weathered really hard marriages to come out to this redemption and wonderful, you know, ending. And so I had people saying, I really liked that. You know, even like uh, my priest and and some other people were like, can you get me a whole book of that? I could really use those for, for marriage counseling. And so people could see that they don't have to throw it all away. And uh, so I, I, I've gathered about, I think I have like 65 stories of really difficult marriages that mm. came through. It's called Impossible Marriages Redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. And so uh, I'm finding that people are really liking that book because it is so inspiring. And, sure. and you can realize that we, we didn't used to throw away marriages back, like you said, before the 70s. You, you'd weather through these things and you'd get to the end and then you realize this is what marriage is about. It's getting through the hard times. You become better people as you work through your, your really, you know, we're all sinful. We have foibles, we have faults, but the, but the marriage was a a safe place to work out all of those without being tossed aside. Right. Right. And that's how you work through it and become better people. And so I've got these, uh, 65 stories, which are just so inspiring that even as I'm again, going through them, I'm going, this is amazing. Why aren't we looking to these people as heroes? I know. I uh, I always think that's so important is to look at the people who stayed married, ask them what they did. It's very, mm -hmm. it's almost shockingly simple. Like, why are we not doing this? Yeah. So it's tell just, me, it's a matter of will I? It's not. Everyone has a reason to divorce at some point. Yeah. Right. So it's, exactly. It's not like who, you know. Gosh, you had this perfect marriage. That's why you didn't get. To, mm-hmm. No, that never happens. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets. 
to the point where they say, why did I marry this particular person? Yes. I never should have, you know, and, and some of it's worse or better than others, but most people do not have this dream marriage. I, no. I, can't, I can't even, I don't know anyone who has that. It's a matter of, will I see my commitment through? Will I do what I promise to do? And that's a matter of honor, integrity, uh, you know, honoring your vow. And we don't have that anymore. So it's, it's actually beautiful to see it play through with these, um, these people that I interviewed. And, and some of them, it's not just the, the couples themselves, although there's plenty of them, but there's a few people that who talked about their parents' marriages and showed how it went all the way through even till, you know, the deathbed. And it is, wow. It is wow. inspiring. So tell me the name again of the book. So that one's called, um, impossible marriages redeemed. Okay. Impossible marriages redeemed. And where is the best yeah. place Layla that people can find out more about you and your work? So I have a website, which is laylamiller.net and it's spelled L-E-I-L-A miller.net. And that's a, a way to, to, to look for those books and also um, learn more about uh, uh, the subject matter. Awesome, Layla. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been, um, you know, I'm not sure fun is the right word, but um, important, right. <laughs> important and enlightening and um, rarely discussed and very, very important. So I really appreciate that you came in and that you that you put this book together. What a what a what a great thing you did. Well, I'm so thrilled, Suzanne, that you gave me an opportunity to talk about it, because, again, it has to be talked about. And so few people are willing to do it. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Layla. And now we're going to go to the email of the day. This one's from Sam, short for Samantha. Hi again, Suzanne. I have a question I want to ask you. I was brainwashed by feminism into believing that motherhood is a miserable thing. Do you have any advice for women in my position who can't seem to shake the idea that babies equals the end of happiness and freedom, no matter how badly we want it to? I shouldn't even chuckle there because that is a really big deal, actually. It's a very big issue for young people because it's not the first person I've heard from who has that same mentality. And it's not surprising because you, this is exactly the message feminists have been peddling for decades, and it's now fully inculcated into the modern generation where they associate getting married and having a family as the end of life as opposed to the beginning of life. When you really understand that it's about a major mind shift, that it's a value shift that happened in America, taking the focus off what really matters, which is having a family and building something for yourself with respect to your relationships and children versus this outward professional achievement. In the past, we always understood that to be your work was a means to an end. It wasn't the end, wasn't the purpose. So it's that value shift that we got away from. So understanding if you are one of these people like Sam, who's been taught to believe this, knowing that you have been utterly conditioned for a political agenda that is rooted in lies, essentially, should help to begin to assuage the whole concept that babies equals loss of freedom. In fact, nothing that you're going to do in your entire life will ever compare to the feeling that you will get when your baby is placed on your chest. Nothing. There is, there is no comparable feeling. And, and raising that baby and the accomplishments from doing that work is greater is a greater sense of satisfaction that you will than you will ever get. So it's that you haven't been told that, in my opinion, and you haven't heard enough of that to offset those alternative messages that you've been getting since you were born that makes you think, wrongfully so, that somehow you're going to lose by having babies as opposed to gain. I don't know what else to say except for that. It's just a complete and utter lie, and you 
are going to have to, I guess, to some extent, if you want a family, trust that 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 you've unfortunately been uh, raised in the wrong era in terms of what you've, you know, the narratives you've been sold from the culture and just know that they're wrong and, and your gut feeling is right. If you are a family-focused person, that you will be very glad that you went that route and you're much more likely to regret not doing so. So hope that helps, Sam. And that ends this hour of The Suzanne Banker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when we talk with Michaela Peterson about what it's like to be a millennial when Jordan Peterson is your dad. Don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook. Just type in The Suzanne Banker Show in the Facebook search bar and you'll find it. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. Finally, if you have a question or a comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.